Anyway, it's, it's really nice to be here this morning. And uh, as I was coming in this morning and we were gathering and, and Dave was singing that song and <clears throat> I was looking at the words on the, on the screen. And then as, as Mark came and uh, very honestly presented uh, <clears throat> the children's talk, uh, I sometimes think that really good children's talks are great adults' talks as well. We learn so much. And, uh, you know, there's a sense in which this, this subject we're going to talk about today is not an easy one. In fact, when, the, when Andrew sent through the program and I saw the list of subjects and I sort of worked down the list of subjects, oh, that's, that's nice, oh, that, oh, that's... And I thought, oh, that one, who's against that? And I thought, oh, no... And I think the reason why is because it can be quite an emotive subject. And uh, I think all of us at times, if we're really honest, have struggled and possibly even are struggling with the subject of uh, forgiveness. Is it possible to forgive and to forget? Can we forgive and forget? And so really what I'm saying this morning is really just to supplement what we've already been singing about and what we've already been hearing about in the children's talk. And this is such a a large subject. I know that I'm probably going to miss some things out, and I'm sorry if if I do that, but this is what the Lord has has laid on on my heart. And when when I read the title, very first when the email came through from Andrew, um, my mind went back to when I was about 19. I was a while ago. And my brother, I have one brother, a younger brother, Keith, and he was 17. And at that point, uh, my mother and father, for some reason, were away on holiday for a week and left Keith and me to our own devices. And I was busy most evenings, but Keith had an evening where he was going back to an empty house and have to fend for himself. And one of the, one of the ladies in, in our church uh, had phoned Keith the night before and said, look, when you come back from work, uh, come to ours for tea for your evening meal. So Keith said, oh, that's great. Thanks very much. I'll call her Auntie C. And uh, anyway, Keith being Keith... He forgot all about it. Andy C was very, very upset. And when Keith phoned to apologize the day after, and he said, I'm really sorry, Andy C said, well, Keith, I can forgive you, but I can't forget. We'll come back to that, hopefully towards the end. But let's look at some scriptures which teach about forgiveness. And we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer together. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. If you have a Bible with you or your device, you want to swipe to it. If not, most of these are going to be coming up here on the screen. And uh, the Lord's Prayer, of course, is is a part of scripture that... uh, that's so, so well known. Most of us could probably say that off by heart. And uh, 
But the thing is, you know, what is really striking here, this is really the Lord's giving, we sometimes say it's the disciples' prayer. The Lord is giving a prayer to his disciples like a template, really. And if, in fact, sometimes our prayer life grounds to a halt and we're stuck and we can't seem to pray, this is a great place to start again and to reboot our prayer life. But but look at the proportion of it that talks about forgiveness. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then on, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I mean, this this is quite challenging. And we see it's a massive proportion of this model prayer is dealing with forgiveness. It's a very important subject. And uh, it recognizes the fact, really, that we are all sinners. We need to ask God for forgiveness for what we've done that was in disobedience to him sometimes for what we haven't done that we should have done. And of course, we need to ask forgiveness for what we've often said and done to others which were hurtful and wrong. And this, for me anyway, is an ongoing process. And sometimes we get rather quick and we assume things and we think things and then say things and then we get the big picture and realize we have judged wrongly and said hurtful things that uh, we shouldn't have. So why, why, why should we forgive others? Well, if we want to be forgiven, then we must be willing to forgive. And of course, the, the last part of that, verses 14 and 15, really emphasizes this. And, and why, why this emphasis on forgiving others? Because I think it's because we find this a very hard thing to do. Uh, we've had teenagers in our home. Uh, they're now 32 and 29 and 22. But uh, I remember at one point, one of them when they were a teenager, they, I remember they, they did something which, uh, which really, really needed them to apologize and I made it very clear that that's what they should do to their mother. It's funny that mothers often get it. Uh, took them three days to apologize. Three days. And, and they said to me, you know, I really don't like saying sorry. And you know, if we're honest, I think we can identify with that too at times. Because saying sorry at times is admitting that we, we, we've done something we shouldn't have. And so there's a warning here. If we don't forgive others, why would we even think that we deserve forgiveness ourselves? So, is it possible to forgive? Well, it's not just possible, but it's absolutely necessary. And the Apostle Paul, uh, Norman has already read this, this verse, Ephesians 4 and 32. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he exhorted them, you know, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Just as in Christ, God has forgiven you. Now, if we know the forgiveness 
that Jesus made possible through his death on the cross, how can we not forgive others? We are a forgiven people. We must therefore be a forgiving people. Ah, but Derek, that's all very well, and I agree with you so far and so on, but I mean, how, how much should we forgive others? Surely there must be a limit to, to that. Well, thankfully, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he asked that very same question. And going over to Matthew chapter 18 and verses 21 and 22, <laughs> and there, here, here it is. Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? How about seven times? Now, the thing is, Peter, let's not misunderstand here. Peter was being very generous. Because in these days, the religious teachers taught that someone could be forgiven three times. And after three times, well, the, your forgiveness vouchers you were used up. And there was no more forgiveness. So Peter suggesting seven times much more generous amount than the religious leaders. And I think Peter was beginning to understand a little bit about the grace of Jesus. But I don't know if he was ever prepared for that answer. And Jesus answered, he said, I tell you, not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. And not literally 77 times what Jesus is really saying. There's no limit to how often we should be prepared to forgive others. And so Jesus goes on to tell this parable. And I'm going to take time to, to read the parable in Matthew chapter 18. And, uh, and, and reading from verse 23, Matthew 18 and 23. Remember, you know, Jesus he, he tells these parables as, as teaching tools. And this is in the context of forgiveness. And he says this, verse 23 of Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. In other words, an amount that this man could never, ever in his lifetime pay off. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Actually, not all that much, really. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and the man had him thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus goes on in the last verse. He, he doesn't always uh, supply an application to his parables, but here he does in verse 35. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now look at this carefully, this verse 35. That word each, you see, uh, it's without exception that we must forgive. And this forgiveness is not some kind of a a lip service or or offering a few words of platitude, but a, a forgiveness that comes from our hearts. Do you see that there? It must be genuine. And sometimes our children back in the day, uh, sometimes when, you know, I would say to one of them, you need to say sorry for that. And then there's a sort of silence and there's an intake of breath and then there's this kind of grudging, oh, okay, I'm sorry then. Like, you know, throwing a dog a a morsel or, or, or something like that. The thing is, if if we don't genuinely and comprehensively forgive someone, we may be in danger of laying down fertile soil, a seed, and then a root of bitterness to spring up from our hearts. And this in turn might prevent us from moving on, and it may cause us to have vengeful thoughts, or at worst, we'd be tripped up by an ongoing desire for revenge or, or, or whatever. And someone might say, but, but you know, Derek, you don't know my situation. I, I, I can't forgive. Are there sins which have been committed against us, which are so serious and so huge that we can't forgive them? Well, you know, I've thought a lot about this, and I have had the honor of knowing people who have suffered unspeakable injustices and yet with God's help they've been able to forgive the perpetrators who sinned against them and it was on the 18th of April 2007 that I had a little office in in Glasgow we we were just back from Istanbul about nine months and I remember the afternoon like yesterday my email started pinging and uh, coming from colleagues in Turkey and one or two of them saying there's been a terrible event in Malatya a country the east of, of Turkey. And as the confusion cleared and the facts were established, it was, it was shocking. And most of you will remember that, that these three believers in Turkey, two Turkish believers and one German believer, a colleague of mine, there they are. They'd met five young men in their office who said that they wanted to find out more about the Christian faith but they'd come for another purpose. And they attacked and tied these three believers up. 
They tortured them. And when they refused to renounce their faith in Jesus, they cut their throats. And Tilman and Dejate were married with children. And this was an event of unspeakable horror and brutality. And how would Susanna and Shemsa, the two widows, how would they react? There's a picture we're just going to see of Susanna at the grave of Tilman. Both were, both of these widows were interviewed days later on primetime Turkish television. And both gave remarkable testimony. Both said because of their faith in Jesus, they would forgive these five young men who murdered their husbands and the father of their children. Now, the reaction from the Turkish population was twofold, really. First, there were many who were astounded that these women did not seek revenge. Vengeance on such a crime. They couldn't comprehend how forgiveness could be offered in such a situation. They interpreted Susanna's and Shemsa's willingness to forgive as sheer folly, weakness, or stupidity. There was another reaction from another section of the public. And these were people who had never heard of or witnessed such forgiveness. And they were shocked as well. They were deeply moved and they asked, how could such an attitude ever be? But Susanna and Shemsa had explained that Jesus had taught his followers to love their enemies, to pray for them. And this was not a sign of weakness, but rather of immense strength. So Matthew 5, verses 43 and 44, it's very, very powerful. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, says Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And they tell us that Christianity is not radical. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that what they did wasn't serious, and it doesn't mean that what they did wasn't wrong. It was wrong, all right. Forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean that they will escape the consequences of their actions if it's serious. But how could Susanna and Shemsa forgive such a sin against them and against their children and against their family and indeed against the, the wider Christian community in Turkey? And they both refer to the example of Jesus on the cross. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, we see this, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And I, I left that little bit of the second part of the verse in deliberately. And Jesus is there about to make atonement for the sins of the world. And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And the people who are crucifying him, what are they doing? They're down there and they're busy dividing up his clothes by casting lot. Isn't that sad? People are, are just so 
so apathetic to the, to the whole thing. And these widows, they follow in a long and noble tradition where they imitated the Lord's behavior on the cross. And they also imitated Stephen's behavior, the first recorded Christian martyr. And as stones rained down from an angry lynch mob, Luke records this for us in Acts chapter 7. And uh, these stones are raining down on him from an angry lynch mob. And Stephen looks up to heaven and he says this. Now, I mean, look at the crowd. They covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. You can feel the hatred in the mob. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Well, that's a leading on to a different story. But while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And then the Lord <clears throat> took him. Suzanne and Shemsa could forgive the most heinous of cold-blooded hate-filled acts of brutality against them. Because as Peter preached at Cornelius' house, and we see this in Acts chapter 10 and verse 43, Peter, uh, sorry, Paul rather, is, is uh, Peter, sorry, is, is preaching, and, and, and he says, all the prophets testify about Jesus that everyone who believe in him receive forgiveness of sins through his name. And, if, and, and Paul, when he's writing to the church at Colossae, he says something similar uh, in chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And those of us who've known forgiveness in Jesus through his atoning sacrifice on the cross, we must forgive those who sin against us. There are no ifs, and there are no buts, and there are no exceptions. We are commanded to forgive. So let's pause just for a moment. Do we need to forgive someone? And so far we haven't. We are withholding our forgiveness I'm shocked that over the years, some Christians have even broken bread together, had communion together, and haven't been speaking to someone else in that room. That should not be. And of course, ideally, if I have wronged someone, and I'm having it pointed out, I repent and apologize, and I'm offered forgiveness, then that's wonderful. Relations are restored. Likewise, if someone hurts me, repents and asks for forgiveness, and that's wonderful. That's how it should be. But what if there's no repentance? Do we still need to forgive the person who sinned against us? Well, yes. It's an absolute imperative that we forgive. Not to forgive is to be disobedient to God. And as I've said already, it may also allow Satan a foothold in our lives. It may be a constant uh, stumbling block to our spiritual and mental health 
it may enable a root of bitterness to take hold of us. We don't want to be like Tam O'Shanter's wife who nursed her wrath to keep it warm. It can also steal our joy and affect our effectiveness for Christ. And the best way to get rid of bitterness is to prevent it from taking root. And so that's why Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4 and verse 31. He, he, he talks about that. You see, you get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of it all. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and so on. But, but you know, bitterness is a terrible thing in someone's life. And so, time for some practical application. Is there, is there someone right now in my life that I need to forgive? I mean, it could be a family member. So many families these days are, are split. We have a neighbor across the road from us. She has a sister living not all that far away. Haven't spoken for 20 years. Um, is there a marriage partner that we need to forgive? Build the resentment built up over the years. So on. there needs to be forgiveness. Is there a, a mother or a father that we need to forgive? I sometimes come across people these days that... Uh, never experienced any affection from their mother and they're struggling with that now and they're my age. Needs to be forgiveness or a father. Uh, It was lovely to hear the testimony from Mark this morning about him and his dad. Not only my father but also my friend. And I am very fortunate to have had a father like that. I have no problems with thinking of God as a father. (laughs) But, you know, not all fathers are like that. And sometimes we maybe need to, even if they're long gone, we need to somehow or other bring that to the Lord and forgive them for the way in which they were not fathers. So we're often good at inflicting the deepest hurts on those nearest us. Of course, maybe a church member, maybe someone here, that you need to seek forgiveness from or or give forgiveness to? And if so, don't go another day without forgiving. Whether they repent or accept that forgiveness or not, if we forgive genuinely, utterly, from the very depths of our heart, we'll experience such a freedom that allows us to move on. And if we find it impossible to do, Ask the Lord for his help. He, he, he might remind us how much we've been forgiven by him. As we've been reminded a number of times already in, in this service. But, you know, sometimes we do need help. Remember uh, when uh, I was living in Istanbul and uh, had a, a little office um, and I shared it <clears throat> with a chap, uh, a colleague, a uh, and Jim and I got on okay, and we shared this office together. He was in ministry as well. And uh, anyway, one day there was a massive misunderstanding between him and me. Now, the thing is, he was an American, and I was from Stenhouse Muir. So there was always going to be some kind of misunderstanding at some point. And you know, that went on for two or three weeks. A stupid little misunderstanding. 
And both of us dug our heels in. Here we are, full-time Christian workers. We were behaving like children, like infants. Do you know, it took another one of our colleagues to bring us together and basically bang our heads together and say, fellas, what is all this? And he shamed us into speaking, sharing uh, what we'd been hurt about. We apologized to each other. And our friendship continued and deepened and went on for years. In fact, uh, they eventually moved down to another city. In just a year or two, I was at a conference in Istanbul. And he, he, he was there. And we embraced and we sat down together and we chatted and talking about different things. And all that was, I can't even remember what the issue was. God, why? Because we'd forgiven each other, even though we needed a bit of help. <laughs> so, you know, to forgive, to be forgiven, it can be an exhilarating, burden-lifting experience. But Derek, if I forgive, do I also need to forget? Well, I would say that in most cases, yes. Remember my first example of my brother, Keith, and his carelessness forgetting to go to Aunt C's for his tea. Um, actually, I, I, I'm quite shocked at times at the at people who have been Christians for 30 years and who can be so unforgiving about the smallest of things. And, of course, that was what was happening there. Uh, she really couldn't forgive a trivial mistake that had been apologized for. And that, quite frankly, well, she sort of said she forgave, but, you know, she wasn't going to forget. And what kind of forgiveness is that? God forgives and God forgets. And that is he no longer holds sins against us that have been confessed and forgiven. And in Psalm 130, in verse 3 and 4, we, we, we see that, you know. But with you there is forgiveness. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. And then moving on to Isaiah 43 and verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. And then we have that, that beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, I always think this is a great one for a wedding. And, and it's this last phrase, love, love is, love keeps no record of wrongs. Young married couples, middle-aged married couples, older married couples need to keep remembering that. Love keeps no record of wrong. And that came across in the children's talk as well this morning. No record of wrongs. Very important. And generally, we really need to work at forgiving and forgetting. Forgetting is part of the whole forgiving process. And so often we sort of go on a fishing trip. And, and we, we drag things up. And, and there's a picture going to come up here of, of no fishing. I was hiding the other day. We were out for a walk. And she says, look, see that, that thing? They'd take a photograph of that. That would be good for Sunday. She says, how do you mean? She says, well, you know what? Surely you're going to mention that we shouldn't be fishing and dragging, dragging up stuff from the past that we need to forget. I said, oh, that's good, so I took a photograph. <laughs> so uh, no, no dragging things up, either things that we've forgiven others for or things that we've been forgiven for. Not healthy. But Derek, what if someone has so deeply hurt us 
and he's and they, they've not repented and may never repent and in fact they might even sort of infer that, that they're the victims well first we've really got to hand such people over to God the judge of all the earth who will in his own time and his own way bring judgment but are there situations where we forgive but we cannot forget and I believe that there are some years ago, I and my family, a good 10 years or so ago, were deeply, deeply hurt. I'd, actually, I'd never experienced anything like it by someone who told terrible lies, who hurt me, my family, and a number of my close friends. And what do we do? Uh, this person, you know, uh, had, you know, eventually sort of said that they were the victim and, and, and so on. And, you know, the thing is, if such a person is there and they become a genuine enemy, I mean, Heidi said to me at the time, she says, I can't believe that there's someone out there who has become your enemy, who is out to hurt you. And if this person may still wish to bring harm, and if this person has a psychopathic uh, nature then we may need in order to protect ourselves yeah we're going to forgive but it might not be good to forget and where possible we need to remove ourselves from such a person's orbit a rape victim for example must forgive but maybe find it difficult to forget if they see that person again uh, Susanna, still living in Malatya, today they said to her, why, why aren't you going back to Germany? She says, why should I leave the city that my husband loved and gave his life for? And she's still living there now. She sees one of her husband's killers in the street for her own safety. She, she can't afford to forget, even though she's forgiven. And of course, God the healer does take the pain from memories. But how do I know that even though I can't forget someone who has done me great harm, that I've actually genuinely forgiven them. That's the question. And I've actually, I've, I've spent a long time thinking about this because it's really, really hard. I've devised two questions to ask myself. And in this particular incident that I can't really tell you more about, but I've asked myself these two questions to try to test the genuineness of my forgiveness. Even although I know that I can't forget that person because I think they would still harm me if they had the opportunity. But the first thing is, the first question, should the opportunity present itself for me to do the person harm or to take revenge, would I do it? Would I do it? And if the answer to that is yes, then I don't think I've forgiven that person at all. But you know, I actually believe that I'm there. If I had an opportunity to harm that person or take revenge or what, I would let it pass. I want to have that person completely forgiven. And the second question is this, I think it's a harder one. Can I genuinely pray for God's blessing on that person? Now, this is a lot harder, but I'm getting there with God's help. But, you know, I must, because Jesus has commanded us to love our enemies. 
And the natural fallen human nature wants to take revenge, wants to retaliate. But in Christ, we have been given the power to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate, to bless those who curse us, and to pray for those who would want to harm us. And ultimately, we can forgive because we have been forgiven much. And going over to Acts chapter 13, Paul in Pisidian Antioch, and there he's preaching. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you through him. Everyone who believes is set free from every sin justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses and we are not able to obtain it under any other way or any other religion and then in Ephesians chapter 1 Paul writes to the church there in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us and so we are a forgiven people on the basis of what Jesus has done on the cross. And therefore, we must also, if we claim to follow Jesus, with his help, be a forgiving people. Let's pray together. Father, we know that this subject is a hard one. And you know all of our hearts And you know all that some of us have gone through. And you know the struggles we have. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to be like Jesus. And help us to realize again the depth of the forgiveness that was bought for us on that cross. And on that basis, Forgive those who may have sinned against us. We do pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.